This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. COVID-19 is making a comeback on the continent. Paris went into a month-long lockdown last week. So did Poland. Germany and Belgium are expected to tighten restrictions as infections increase and hospitals once again struggle to cope with the numbers. The third wave has begun. Britain's Prime Minister admits it's likely to hit these shores too. But the UK has an advanced vaccination programme, with half the adult population getting the jab so far. Within the EU, that's a different picture. Take Germany, for example, where the figure is 10%. Pressure is on the European Commission to get the vaccines in and distributed much faster, and they seem to have set their sights on Britain, warning they'll stop the UK getting batches of the AstraZeneca jab currently being made in the Netherlands if Britain doesn't start sending batches being made here over there. Our political editor Joe Murphy is here now. And Joe, the timing of this threat with a third wave approaching seems to be about putting maximum pressure on Boris Johnson. But he's trying to push that back, isn't he? Well, the Prime Minister is going to be talking to EU leaders this week. Talking to EU leaders is significant because, of course, there's a summit on Thursday. It's a decision-making summit. And we expect the EU to discuss and perhaps take action on as it would call it, protecting its vaccine supplies and ensuring that AstraZeneca honour the contract that the European Commission struck for the supply of many tens of millions of vaccine doses. And the Prime Minister is talking to EU leaders. He's clearly hoping to isolate Ursula von der Leyen, the Commission President, who is trying to drive this move forwards. Um, by saying to other leaders, look, do you really want to go down the route of breaking a contractual agreement between a company and the United Kingdom government? Because that could have all kinds of ramifications. And we've had perhaps a hint of the flavour of how the Prime Minister is going to be talking to these leaders, haven't we, from the Health Minister, Helen Waitley. What's she been saying? She's very much saying what the Prime Minister will be saying in public, I think, later on today, um, which is vaccine nationalism or vaccine protectionism does nobody any good. That's an interesting phrase because it raises the idea without actually saying it that there could be some repercussions and when people put to Helen Waitley this morning what about retaliation could we retaliate by stopping the export of components ingredients if you like of the Pfizer vaccine she just said well I'm not going to address speculation like that and that's the same thing number 10 saying they're saying oh we don't talk about hypotheticals uh, leaving very much the door wide open for the possibility 
that this could be a tit-for-tat vaccine war if the EU don't back down. And a lot of these tensions are focused on just one plant in the Netherlands, aren't they, Joe? Yes, this is a little plant called Halix, which is subcontracted to AstraZeneca. It's located in the Netherlands at Leipzig, and it will make a batch of vaccines which is due for delivery to the UK very shortly. And you've had European Union officials saying overnight, any vaccine from this plant belongs to the European Union. And the same message was underlined by uh, Veronique Trier-Lenoir, who is a French MEP, who very often articulates what the European Commission wants to put out there. And she said AstraZeneca has uh, got itself into a situation where it's promised the same vaccine doses to the UK and the Commission. And the UK's had several millions of doses, so it's time the Commission had a few. The the slight strange sort of um, uh, irony in all this is that these batches from this Netherlands plant aren't actually approved for EU use at the moment. So um, they are only approved for for UK use. Um, the European authorities have yet to rubber stamp them. Yeah, now this is what I'm really struggling to understand about all of this, Joe, because it was only last week that France, Germany, Italy, Spain, lots of countries around the EU said that they were pausing the use of AstraZeneca over safety concerns, and yet they're having a big fight over supplies of the AstraZeneca jab. I just, I'm just really struggling to understand that bit. I don't think you can understand the European position on this because they have contradicted each other, they have sent messaging all over the place and are paying a price in terms of public trust of their vaccination rollout. And you have heard lots of British scientists condemning Macron and Angela Merkel for comments made about the Oxford-AstraZeneca jab, which they say are not founded in science but look like politics. And... One theory that you might hear on the rounds if you go to Westminster is that the Commission has made such a foul-up of the vaccination rollout, failing to get the orders in, relying on its strength to come in at the last minute and grab lots of supplies, and that that has failed and that leaders are under so much pressure from their voters that they said, well, if we haven't got this vaccine, this particular vaccine in great quantities... Let's disparage it so that people don't feel too envious of Britain's rollout. You've also heard them say, oh, the British are taking, they're cutting corners with the regulators and the British are taking a chance by this 12-week gap. This sort of um, negativity has paid a price and we've got polling out today from YouGov, which is really quite shocking. You find that a clear majority of the public in France, Italy... Germany, all feel that the AstraZeneca jab is more unsafe than safe. Uh, The reverse of the polling in the UK, where um, almost 8 out of 10 people think it is safe, quite rightly, according to all the scientists. So the problem of vaccine hesitancy, which is actually a lethal problem and could cost lives, has gone up in Europe And these figures have risen in the last few weeks while this row has been playing out. So the vaccine wars is a very real problem for Europe. It's one that is probably costing lives now through vaccine hesitancy. And it's one that could cost a delay to Britain's rollout of the vaccine. 
um, over the next few months if it goes worse. There's more on this story in the newspaper and at standard.co.uk. Check out our live blog for the latest developments. Let's do some ads now. Hit your follow button so you never miss our news, analysis and commentary every day at 4pm. The Deliveroo bike has become a familiar sight on streets around the UK since the company was founded in London in 2013. It is an incredible success story. But is it worth up to £8.8 billion? That's how much Deliveroo's valuing itself as it prepares for its stock market flotation. Our city editor Jim Armitage is here. Jim, how can it possibly be worth the best part of £9 billion? Well, I mean, they say that this is a company that's growing like Billio. They say that their technology is is sort of the best of anyone's technology. They say we're in. We're also moving into new areas. So, for example, if you're a restaurant, you can use Deliveroo's services, but Deliveroo will let you badge it as as your service. It's called white labeling in the business. So, I, I might be Jim Armitage's pizza joint in uh, in West London, and I could set up my own home delivery services, uh, jimarmitage.com, but actually it'd be using the delivery, uh, the delivery business to, to do that delivery. So they say that's a big growth potential market. And they've also got these, uh, what they don't like calling them dark kitchens, but that's what everyone else calls them, dark kitchens, where delivery has, it will, manufacture a, it will manufacture the food for uh, on behalf of restaurants and uh, that means that the if you've got one or two restaurants you can massively increase the amount of supply that can go into the Deliveroo network so so next time you're ordering from Deliveroo from your local uh, Chinese takeaway say it may well have been made in an off-site dark kitchen in uh, in Brentwood somewhere and been delivered to you from there so that, that's another way in which Deliveroo can increase the, the amount of orders that, that go through its platform. And an extremely fair point, they say that the home delivery market is still relatively small uh, compared with the amount of food that, uh, that we eat and the amount of going out that we do to, to, to eat as well. They say that that's a small, um, that we've got a very small piece of the pie and growing it shouldn't be that difficult. But it's such a very large amount of money, Jim. I mean, how does it compare to, to other valuations or even its own rivals? Well, this is my problem with it. I've got to say, I mean, I, I think Deliveroo is a fine business, but it all comes down to money. And this just seems extremely highly valued to, to me. When, when you consider consider its rivals, for example, Just Eat Takeaway, uh, listeners will be familiar with the Just Eat brand. It's owned by a, a vast, vast company in Holland called Takeaway.com, which bought Just Eat. They've got huge operations in Holland, in Germany. They've done a huge tie-up in, in the States, as well as being the biggest um, delivery operator in the UK. Uh, now, that company is only valued at a little bit more than the top end of this uh, of Deliveroo. So Deliveroo at the top end is eight point eight billion pounds. Just Eat is uh, is ten billion. Uh, yet Just Eat does about uh, sixty million customers, and that's about ten times what Deliveroo does. Are we seeing that situation that I, I, neither you nor I are old enough to remember the, the, the 90s when the, the internet bubble collapsed, Jim? But is it something similar to that? I, I'm afraid I do remember that very clearly. Um, 
I was uh, a business editor at that time at, at another organization. And um, there are so many similarities between now and then. There's lots of differences too, but there are similarities. And, and one of the similarities was that in 1999, just before the dot-com bubble burst, pretty much on New Year's Day 2000, the, um, towards the end of that period, you, you get this, this sort of mania, this, this, this feeling of totally irrational exuberance, as somebody once called it, where people think you can get a crazy valuation for anything these days and you get lots and lots of stock market flotations. And we're in the middle of getting lots of stock market flotations right now in, in the technology space. Each time it seems that the price gets bid up by the market. And I've got a nasty feeling that this could be a victim of that. Where I said it's different from what it was in 99, it is different because a lot of those businesses were, frankly, rubbish businesses. The tech floats that are happening now, they're not rubbish. They're, they're good businesses. Deliveroo is a great business. Um, the Hut Group was a brilliant business. So they're, they're real businesses. It's just the valuations are too high. And then another very close comparison to what's happening now as to what was happening in 1999, which a lot of investors seem to have forgotten, was that uh, as part of that irrational exuberance, people with a bit of a track record of, in technology were able back in 1999 to launch companies on the stock market with literally nothing in them, just the promise that these entrepreneurs would do something clever with it if you give us some money. Now, exactly the same has been happening for the last couple, uh, well, certainly the last year in America with a, with a growing crescendo that these, I mean, they call them uh, uh, SPACs for short, they're sort of special purpose acquisition companies, they're called. But again, they're setting up with zero assets um, and commanding these crazy, crazy stock market valuations. And it's just the combination for me of seeing these these shell companies, plus lots of tech IPOs going for very, very high multiple uh, multiple values is just making me feel a little bit nervous right now. There's more from Jim and our business team every day in the newspaper and at standard.co.uk. That's the Leader Podcast. Join us again tomorrow at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.